0: Well, Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going at it today. Mark chapter 1. We're diving into our new series here. It's page 836. If you're using one of the Bibles on the back of the seats there, uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, just kind of uh, today is still a bit of an introductory as we get rolling, going through this whole gospel here. And that includes just this question. Oh, why, why the gospel of Mark? Uh, why the gospel of Mark? Especially for a couple reasons. And one of those reasons is especially when we as a church uh, back in 2008 went through the gospel of Mark. And uh, I'm just curious, who was here back then? No, just hold your hands up. I just want to see it. How cool how God has done a work among us in bringing people who weren't here. Um, very, very cool. But back then, we went through the Gospel of Mark. It was really our first full series through a book of the Bible. We had met together for, I think, three weeks before and uh, got started in Mark. But uh, one of the reasons is that we are in a two-year Kind of emphasis. And I want for you to know this. We are in a two year emphasis on just keying in on Jesus Christ. It's very, I think, uh, as we talk about as elders and leadership, it's very much easy to kind of get with a new building and all that's entailed with that to kind of get our eyes off the center of the target. And uh, the center of our target is Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's not just we're going to be about Jesus for two years, uh, that's, that's for all, all the time. But we are really, especially making sure in these two years that we're keying there. We just finished up a series through Colossians on Jesus Christ supreme. We're now going to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be taking that on "Be Amazed with Jesus Christ." We'll be taking that into January of uh, 15. Then after that, we're going to pick up with Revelation and pick up chapter four through 21. And Lord willing, and in 2015, be talking about Jesus Christ revealed. So it's an emphasis. That's one of the reasons why we're in Mark. Secondly. There's an aspect I just want for you to know transparently on the table. For me, uh, part of going through this gospel is is a help to me. Um, I spend about two and a half days a week. I do have more, more than one day a week. Uh, I spend about two and a half days a week in sermon prep, and so being able to come back to a series that I've done is actually, and the elders have been behind this, it allows me one extra day to key into my doctoral work, which I'm just struggling to be able to get after with everything else that's going on. And so I want for you to know, this is a kind of a commitment to you, and especially those of you who are back here in 2008, this is not the same old series pulled out, okay, Um, It just allows me to already, I've already got the exegetical work done to it. But I think over the years, I've grown as a pastor teacher. We've grown as a church. And going back through a a book of the Bible is like not a bad deal. Okay. So we're all okay with that. But I just want for you to know on the table, that's one of the reasons why is to kind of help me uh, be able to get some more of my Lord willing doctoral work done and gone. Boy, glory be the day. All right, Uh, look at chapter one, all right? This is why we're here, look at chapter one. Uh, I want for you to just in your mind be asking this question as you really seriously on this. As you look at Mark, what are you thinking about when you open the Bible, have the page there because we're big about the Bible around here, have the page there on your lap, you're looking at it. What are you thinking about entering into that? I'm serious about that. Uh, I think there's a whole variety of things that you can be thinking through that. But let let me just uh, toss a couple out here that oftentimes happen, especially coming to a gospel. You come to a gospel and it's like, oh, this is very cool. I'm looking forward to kind of a chronological telling of Jesus Christ to the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. That's going to be really cool. I enjoy chronology too. That's very cool. But I want for us to know this. That wasn't Mark's intent. Mark is not writing like Luke writes. Mark is not seeking to write kind of a flow by flow by flow, just a retelling of the story of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we go through, you'll find out some of the events are kind of interspersed around. Mark isn't telling his main purpose, isn't telling a chronology of Jesus. He's telling about this guy, and it's like he's pulling some various things together. And in that, there's a big picture of what's happening. So he's not just about the chronology. Uh, maybe sometimes, I think some people enter, uh, uh, like, say, a Gospel Mark or the Bible. It's like, hey, uh, I want to read and I want to get my, you know, kind of chicken soup for the soul Bible tidbit for the day. You know, I just want to be able to go home with an application for the day, like, be more moral uh, <laughs> or something like that. And I want for you to know this, Mark wasn't writing with that as his objective. He's not writing so that you and I walk away with tidbits for the day. By the way, all the chapters weren't there. All those paragraph headings weren't there when he originally read it. And while I love the chapters and I love the verse marks and I love even the headings because they help us kind of figure, I know it's somewhere around here, they also get in the way. This was a whole flowing letter. He was telling a story about someone proving a point in it all. And sometimes when we get this idea of like, just give me an application for the day or the week, uh, that's just not what Mark was seeking to do. Also, sometimes we enter and it's like, oh, this is really cool. I get to." We're going to dive into some areas and kind of my theological hobby horses are going to come to the table. You're going to hear me today as we're going through like, hey, can we talk about this? And every time I'm going to go, no. Um, and the reason, again, is, is Mark isn't writing a theological hobby horse. Mark is writing the, about... Jesus Christ. Yes, there's theology in that, but he's seeking to tell the story in that. So uh, I don't want us to enter those kinds of ways. I want us for us every Sunday to enter more like this. Hey, John Mark, who we learned about last week. John Mark, through the inspiration of God, God is writing down what, what he once said. John Mark is penning something down and he's penning it down on purpose for us to get a picture of something, for us to help us understand what something, what is it? What is it? That's what we want. That's what we want. And so I'm going to tell you this. I am in my mind, literally every week, I am going to imagine that John Mark is sitting right there in center in a seat. And when we're done, I want for John Mark to be able to go, that's exactly what we were, I was trying to say. That's exactly it. We're going to try and understand God working through John Mark to pen down everything that God wanted. We're going to try and understand that. And I'm telling you all this because that means that it's more than just the storyline. You have to see the big picture of what's happening. And today is a bit of an exercise with seeing some more of the big picture of what flows. Okay, so I'm just putting some things out on the table as we enter this. Let's enter into it. What does John Mark have to say to us? What does he have to say? Are you you there? You with me? Are you hungry? Okay, not for lunch. That's coming. Okay, we wanna know what he has to say. All right. Now you look at your sermon note page. On your update back page there, um, you'll see three things at the top. With the gospel of Mark, there are really three things because Mark is an action gospel. It's the Indiana Jones gospel of the New Testament. It's action, action, action. It's less speaking, more action. And there are three things. How many things? Three things. You always want to be asking and knowing. Just know whether I say them or not over the coming weeks and months, they're in how we're talking and looking at it. Uh, The first one of those is the character's. So, who are the players? Who, who, who in this? Who are the people on it? And, and knowing who those people are, I mean, are they, are they Pharisees? Are they religious leaders? Are they uh, uh, poor people out in here? Are they... What, who are they? What are they? Are, are they Jews, non-Jews? What, what, what's the deal? Understanding who those characters are really important. Secondly, it's also the actions. The actions matter to Mark. What happens... Matters. In fact, I would argue what happens is almost more important to Mark than what is said. Mark is all about that action that's taking place around it. So whenever we're going, ask, so who's involved and what's happening? And the third thing is the places. The places matter. Now, you and I don't have the uh, benefit of being people having grown up in this geography place that the Bible's being talking about, nor at that period of time. But I'm going to tell you the places matter. In fact, the entire gospel is structured by geography. The first 13 verses today that we're going to be going after are are talking about a particular geography. Then it picks up from there and you can even see in verse 14, it picks up from there. Jesus then goes to Galilee from chapter 14 through chapter 10. Chapter 10 kind of is a transitional uh, geography movement. Everything is taking place in Galilee. And if you don't know where that is, go ahead and turn to the back of your Bible. We will be having maps up as we go through this series. You'll see. But the area of Galilee is up in the northern portion of Israel. Everything's happening in these first chapters up north. The latter chapters, chapters 11 through 16 are all down in Jerusalem in that area. And so there's Mark has laid his gospel out by geography. And so the places on where it's happening matters to Mark. So there's the characters, the actions and the places. All right. So here we're going to go. We're going to get after that, asking the question, what is Mark seeking to tell us in these first 13 verses? By the way, I'm really excited to talk with you about these first 13 verses. Um, because while I've studied them before and even preached on them before, uh, I actually just so you know, I'm learning through this as well. I had actually set up to preach through verses one through eighteen today, or one through eight today. But when I'm going through this, all of a sudden I'm seeing something that I've missed before, and it's the place. And with that, that actually the structure of today, as we're talking about this, verses one through thirteen, I think have to be held together. We get by movement, but he's bringing everything to a common place, okay? So I'm learning in it. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you as well. Uh, here we go. So what is Mark Segan to tell us in the first 13 verses? Number one, let's start with the characters. And before I even read this, I just want to get the characters out on the table, all right? So who are the characters? Well, they're this. Uh, you can look. Look at verse 4. The first person out on the table is John. John who? Doesn't matter right now. Just John. Who's the first person? Okay, then in verse 5, it tells us, I've kind of summed it up, people. <laughs> that's really deep. Just people, like lots of people, because it says that all the people from Judea and Jerusalem, by the way, Judea and Jerusalem, since geography matters, that's the lower portion of Israel. So all the people down there, there's a bunch of people, not a few people, not 10 people, not 100 people, but lots of people. So there's John, then there's people, then verse 9, there's Jesus he shows up. Then in verses 10 and 12, the spirit shows up. Then in verse 11, there's a voice, Ah, a voice. And we know in this, it's God, the father is there. Uh, Verse 13, Satan shows up. Everybody go boo. Okay. That's right. Bad guy. Satan shows up. And then verse 13, the angels show up. Why am I doing this? Because I want to get two things on the table. Number one, You're starting out a gospel. The gospel is the telling of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it says in verse one, the son of God. And note this, there's no Zechariah, there's no Elizabeth, there's no Joshua or Mary, there's no donkey. There's no uh, 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 baby John or Jesus. There's no shepherds, there's no wise men. There's no Simeon, there's no Anna, there's no young boy Jesus at the temple. None of that is included in the gospel of Mark, none of it. Hey, if you want to know about Bethlehem and you want to know about this or that, Mark is not the place to go. What does that mean? Okay, understand this. Mark does not see that as important to what he's trying to get across here in the length of his whole telling of the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark does not start with the birth. He doesn't see it as important in his case or as in theology terms. It's not a part of his argument on what he's presenting. It's interesting. He doesn't bring any of them there. And then by the way, the people that he brings on the table, they're like this, bam, they're there. Uh, look, at, look at verse four, John appeared, poof. <laughs> it's like, well, what about his mom and his dad? Well, what about the fact that, that his mom knew Jesus' mom and they met early? Mark doesn't talk about any of that. Where did he grow up? How tall was he? None of that. It doesn't matter. Just bam, they're on the table. So there's John on the table. Uh, then all of a sudden, bam, there's a whole bunch of people. Like from everywhere. Like where did they come from? Who are they? Well, we, we kind of know, but we don't know much. It's just this, bam, a bunch of people are there. And then all of a sudden it's Jesus. And you and read this like you don't know Jesus Christ at all. Then, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and baptized. Who is this dude? It's just like, bam! He's on the table. And Jesus is there. And then while this is going, we'll read it here in just a second, but I'm getting this out for us here. And then it's, boom, the Holy, bam, the Holy Spirit, and then the Father, and then Satan. Yeah, you guys are real intense there with that. Okay, like Satan. And then the angels. And here's the deal. In 10 verses... Um, John, Mark has all the people on the table. Bam! And they're there. By the way, let me note this. All those people that are right there, those are all the people for the entire story of the gospel. By the way, all those people right there, those are all the people that are involved in all of redemptive history. Everybody's right there. <laughs> Mark just starts out, Coamo, here are these people, they're on the table. Now, not only does he give the people, but he also gives the actions. So what are the actions of the players? Remember I said, ask the question, who's the players on the table and what are they doing? Here's what's really interesting. Every one of these individuals that are named are doing something, but it's not talked about in very much depth at all. Well, let's sum it up. John, and you have this in your notes, John appeared. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit more about what he's doing, but John appeared. The people, they were going out. Jesus, he came. The spirit, verse 10, he descended on. Verse 12, he drove out. The father spoke. Satan tempted. That's what he always does. And the angels ministered. Okay? So got the gist of the main story here going? Let's read it. All right, you ready? We're gonna do three paragraphs and we're going to kind of work these characters and these actions out. Let's pick it up. Chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. Here we go. Verse 4 through 8. John did what? John came. John appeared. Uh, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. And were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his weight and waist and ate locusts and wild honey, yum. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's do some work here. John appeared. John appeared, John came, bam, he's there. He's, again, he's an adult, no Zachariah, Elizabeth, no birth, nothing. He's just there. What was John doing? Well, the text tells us what he's doing. He's baptizing and he's proclaiming. By the way, I just want to note in this that in the baptizing and proclaiming part of it, uh, the baptizing is the outcome of the proclaiming. Okay? It's very clear in the structure of the grammar here that what's going on is John is not saying, hey, you guys, get baptized. That's not what John is saying. He is saying that, but not that alone. John is saying, hey, you guys, repent and be baptized. Here, you always see baptism following repentance. That's the way the scripture always talks about it happening here. So it's not just get baptized, but it's repent of your sins and follow that up with baptism. By the way, next Sunday, very cool. I think we've got eight people being baptized. Very cool time. Just a side note, I understand why people call John, John the Baptist, I really do. I usually, if you hear me, I call him John the Baptizer just so people don't get denominationally thinking because in our culture today, some people literally think that. But it's really a misnomer. I mean, if we wanted to be really right about it, we should really call John, John the Proclaimer of Repentance because that's really what he was doing. John, the proclaimer of repentance. Okay, so he's there. He appeared. He's on the scene. He's proclaiming. He's baptizing. Uh, Doug, can we talk about the mode and the method of uh, baptism? No, Uh, because Mark isn't interested in talking about that. He's just wanting us to know that John's there, what John's doing. And John appeared. He appeared proclaiming, proclaiming. That means heralding. That means uh, preaching. That means uh, giving a note of uh, to people verbally. He's proclaiming about someone. So what? Big deal. Well, look at verses 2 and 3. And I'm doing it this way because I want for you to know this. The introduction always matters. Okay, especially like the book of Revelation when we get there the first verse of Revelation is gonna drive the entire way we go through the book of Revelation. Because oftentimes when people go through the book of Revelation, they completely forget about what the book was written to do. And that was to reveal Jesus Christ. Not necessarily lay out the timeline, but it's to reveal Jesus Christ. Look at verses two and three. It says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying where? In the wilderness, in the desert, some translations have it. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I want first to know this. John proclaiming was a huge deal. What kind of a deal? Huge deal. Why was it a huge deal? Because what's stated in verses 2 and 3 is actually taken out of Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3. There's a quote there in those... Verses out of those two passages are brought in there in verses 2 and 3. And in verses 2 and 3, think about that. That means Malachi. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, was written about 400 years before Mark chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 40 was written about 700 years before Mark chapter 1. 700 years earlier. It had been said there's going to be someone who's coming who's going to be proclaiming and preparing the way for the Messiah to come. Then 400 years before this, the Bible tells us that that there's a prophecy that someone was going to be coming and preparing the way, a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and God tells us that there is going to be one that is coming that is going to take Satan out. So, after all of these years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and then through the Old, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years, and this is really important 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and God is silent. We have nothing of God telling his people Israel anything. Can you imagine that? That's like four generations at least, five generations at least in that day of people where God has not spoken a word to them other than what he's spoken in the past. But yet God is active in those 400 years because God, if when you go back in history and you take a look, God is reworking history. Alexander the Great and just laying out highways and movement and capabilities to move around. The language change so that Greek becomes this, this huge, almost like English is across the world kind of a language. And so there's been 700 years and 400 years and now someone is speaking. That person that the people of Israel have been looking for, God's people have been looking for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and how many? Hundreds of years is now speaking. I hope this kind of gives you some goosebumps over the reality of the long thing of redemptive history. Because in it all, it's like God's been saying he's going to do this. Come on, God, get on with the program, man. Hey, he's got it, and it's happening in Mark chapter 1. John appeared. I think that's why it's stated that way. Listen, John appeared. (laughs) He's on the scene. Everything's moving along. Very cool. And by the way, look at John. He's kind of a freak, verse 6. He's, like, dressed like this Old Testament, like, Wild Alaska TV character kind of a guy, isn't he? I mean, he's wearing these clothes and he's eating like wrong stuff. And hey, Doug, can you talk about clothing and being simple in clothes? No, why am I saying that? Because sometimes people just are reading through and they like get off on things. And it's just stay with it. No, listen, it's telling us that John's tied to an Old Testament prophet. He's looking like people think he's Elijah, come back. He's there, this Old Testament prophet is on the scene and he's eating food like from Survivor World. And Doug, can we talk about natural food and, and how fast food's bad for you? No, no. Again, it's one more time where people take scripture and just start talking about their hobby interests. That's not why Mark was writing this. If John were here and we started talking about how you need to eat healthy, natural food, Mark's like, what the heck? Okay, that's what's happening here. So we'll stay on tune. Verse seven and eight, but what does he do? He appears preaching. And he appears preaching about someone who's coming that's gonna be more powerful than him. He's gonna be baptizing people with the spirit of God hundreds and hundreds of years it's coming. Hey, Doug, can we talk about street evangelism and altar calls and stuff? No, that's not what this is about. John's on the scene and people are responding. God's doing a work. This is really exciting stuff. John appeared. Then the people appeared. Look at verse five. People appeared. We've already talked about it. It's like, bam, people from, notice all the country of Judea and Jerusalem. All the people. Well, wait a second here. How could all the people, because of all the people there, that would mean there would be nobody in Jerusalem, right? What's Mark doing here? He's trying to help us understand that there's more than 20 people. You know, like there was this guy out there and he was doing this thing and he's calling people to repentance and like, you know, on the news, they're like, lots of people showed up and then they show it downtown and there's 20. (laughs) You're like, seriously, why are you even putting them on the news? right. But here in it, all the people where John, Mark is writing to help us understand there's a huge movement in God's people coming out to hear John. They're out there. Verse 9 through 11. So who's on the scene? John's on the scene. People are on the scene. Verse 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, By the way, uh, the word there, the verb for Jesus, Jesus came, it's the exact same uh, verb, I mean, exact form of it in the Greek as it was the word for John. So I don't know why they said John appeared and Jesus came. I mean, it's like John appeared and Jesus appeared. Uh, That's kind of the idea here. In those days, Jesus appeared from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Okay, pause. Everybody who's been around for like six years... There's a word that's coming, oifous um, in the Greek. It, uh, it's a word that John Mark uses again and again and again. In fact, he uses it 11 times in the first chapter, 40 times in the gospel of Mark. Every commentator you read will note this because he uses it so many times. In your translation, what, what is it? Immediately. Okay, immediately. Why would he be using immediately? Because he wants for you to get a feel of what's going on. Like, Bam! Okay, that's what happened. And so here's what we're gonna do. Every time we come across reading out and we come across the word immediately, you are gonna respond with? Awesome. Way to go. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. Let me pick up verse 10. So uh, nine, Jesus came from Nazareth, baptized by John, verse 10. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open By the way, it wasn't like baptized come up and Jesus is like, whoa, water my eyes. And oh, that was cool. And (laughs) he's kind of like walks over to the beach and grabs a towel and he's drying off. And then after a little while, it's kind of like the heavens are like. And it's like, he's like, whoa, look at this. It's not that. One word changes it immediately. Okay, And it's like this, Jesus comes up out of the water and like as he's coming up and the water's getting out of his eyes, it's like, bam, the heavens are opening right then. And and by the way, in the form of this, it it doesn't mean it's just like, oh, it has this idea of kind of a rough ripping, tearing. That's why uh, English Standard Version has torn. It's torn open. And it's this idea, he comes up and it's like immediately, right at that moment, the heaven's open. Hey, I, I want to, I'm pausing here in the reading of this for this fact. God knows what's going on to the second, to the second of what's happening. He's not trying to figure it out like, whoa, whoa, wasn't expecting that. Now what do I do? Um, 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 no, no, no. Listen, when Jesus came up, boom, things are happening. God is on top of things. And if you're at a place to where you're wondering, like, is God even aware of what's going on? I mean, look at the world. This is ridiculous. People killing each other. What in God's name is happening here? Do know this. God knows to the second. God knows everything that's taking place. And yet we live in a time where we live in a sin-cursed world. And those things happen, and yet God knows everything that's happening. Be assured by that. Everything that God has said, he will do. And he will do it right in his time, right to the exact second of his time. He's not figuring it out. He's on top of it. Let's keep going. Verse 10, and he came up out of the water immediately. He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. I wonder what it sounded like. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus came. Jesus appeared. He appeared and we don't know anything about his mom or his dad at this point. We know that he came from Nazareth of Galilee, which is northern territory. By the way, I think part of the reason that Mark is noting that isn't just because, well, duh, everybody says it that way. No, because when he's writing it right now, the north portion of Galilee was like wilderness territory to everybody in the south. In fact, everybody coming from Judea and Samaria, I'll bet half of them didn't even know where Nazareth was. It was so dinky. That has a play in later here. But Jesus came, he came to be baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, Mark doesn't talk about it, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna break my own code. This for me has kind of been an aha moment here this week. I mean, what's baptism about? We just talked about it. The text just talked about it. Baptism is about after a person repents before the Lord, this is a symbolic thing of what's what just been happening, there that cleansing work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in it. And yet, and yet Jesus, Jesus was, Jesus was not a normal human. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus had never sinned in his life. Why is he baptizing, being baptized? How cool is this? The one who is without sin is doing something, not because he needed to, but because he's associating and identifying with you and I. I mean, the second person of the Trinity came not just to crush us, not just to do what we could not do for ourselves and die and rise from the dead, Not not to be mean, not, not even just to be loving, but to be so loving that he enters into something that the people, all the people are doing when they repent. I'm going to tell you, friends, what a savior we have. That he would come and do something that would identify with me that is something that is telling the most lowest thing about me possible. I am a sinner to the core. How sweet is that? Just how beautiful is that? Well, Mark doesn't spend the time talking about it, but I'm sorry I had to. And he's baptized. Well, then the spirit descended. How cool is that? Doug, did everybody see this? Everybody hear this? Was it a real dove or a literary image dove? Because it says like a dove. Um. I'm not going to go into it. Because it's not Mark's focus, it's just this. Some amazing things are happening here. Some divine heaven God things are taking place here. And whether everybody saw it or not, and you can go to some of the other gospels, some of the other gospels fill in a little bit more, but it wasn't Mark's interest to go into the details. But we know this Jesus came, the Spirit descended, and then look at verse eleven, and then a voice from heaven spoke. Can you imagine that? Who heard it? Don't know. What did it say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Son. Um, if you're newer here, we'll be talking about this more, but I made mention of it the other week. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 uh, tells us that this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The son of God. Son. It's, it's not a biological term. It's not that Jesus was birthed of God. It's not that Jesus is lower than God the Father. This is a term that we just don't understand in our culture. In the day, this was an equivalent one statement. This is, in other words, he is God. He is God. This is a son of man, Jesus uses throughout the gospel of Mark. That means that he's man, he's relating to man. Yet here it's talking about the idea he's, he is God. This is a divinity statement, not a humanity statement. Uh, The son of God that's taking place here. That's who's who's the father is speaking to. Notice chapter one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're new to the Bible, and I mean this quite seriously, uh, Christ was not Jesus' last name. It wasn't Joseph Christ and, I mean this seriously, it wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ had Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. Christ is the title. It, so what's happening here in verse 1, this is about a, a title. It's a, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the one that's been talked about for hundreds and thousands of years from Scripture. This is the one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Two titles. That's the one who's being baptized. And that's why God the Father is saying uh, to this, my beloved son. Who's the next player so far? Well, 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately. One more time. Uh, the Spirit immediately drove out into the him out into the wilderness. Drove who out? Jesus out. Okay, this is important. So here we had it over here where Jesus is being baptized and, and he's baptized, he comes up and immediately, poof, the heavens open up and all this is taking place. And then it's not like we don't get the idea that then after all this, you know, you're my son, who I'm, well, please flutter, flutter, flutter <laughs> with the spirit on him. And then he gets out of the water and he you know dries off with the towel and stuff. And then like a week later, no, no, no. We get the idea that like, bam, bam. And what happens is the Spirit of God drives him out where? Drives him out where? Into the wilderness, into the desert, some of your texts say. Uh, That's what the the Spirit's on the scene, and he drives him out, comes down and drives him out. So many interesting things we could talk about with that, but uh, Mark doesn't go into it much further, so I'm not going to. And then verse 13, who else shows up? And Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, um, there's some meaning to that, but I'm just not going to build that out. Uh, just He's in this interesting period of time being tempted by who? By Satan. So that's the one we've talked about. So he's out in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He's not eating all this. And, and if you read some of the other gospel accounts, you find out it talks about there's three temptations. Man, three temptations in 40 days? I don't know about you, but I'd go for that. Um, that sounds like a pretty good odds kind of a thing. That's not what it's saying here in in the reality of it. Mark's not even interested in the three temptations. Can we talk about those temptations and about how you fight them with the word of God? Well, go to Matthew. And when we get there someday, we'll we'll talk through that one, Then, then we will. But right now, that's not Mark's interest. Mark is just saying he's out there and he's being tempted. And by the way, it's like tempted all the time. It's not just three measly little times. By the way, think of this, Satan. Who's Satan? Satan, 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 Satan. Oh yeah, he was an angel that fell. Remember Colossians chapter 1? We just went through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, Jesus verse 15 and following. Jesus is the one who created all things. That means Jesus was the one who created the angels. That means Jesus was the one who created the angels. uh, One of which, and then the demons of which fell from God's grace because they chose to want to be God. That means the one who was created is now trying to go face to face up to the one who created him. What a fool. But that's what's going on. Can you imagine Jesus just there? It's like, dude, bring it on, man. Let's go. You and me, face to face. But we're not going to go any further. Okay, so uh, Satan is there tempting. He's on the scene. And this next statement, and he was with the wild animals. Oh, how cool is that? So here's the deal. Jesus is being tempted all the time. And then he like gathers around and he's like, come here, boys. Come here, boys. And the lion comes and the elephant comes and the bear. And it's just like group hug. That's not what's happening. In fact, the text isn't even really referring to animals, if you will. That's what I've always thought. Have you? You don't want to admit it. Um, with it actually when you look at this and you, you kind of I've spent some time this week on that term because uh, a, c- a couple of commentators are making this statement. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second I've got to rethink on my thinking here. What's going on? Actually, that terminology is not describing certain animals came and jesus had a dr Doolittle time with them. It's not talking about that What it's talking about is that is a description of the wilderness He was in a place where there were wild animals They didn't come Dr. Doolittle time. They were there. They'd take him out. It was that kind of territory. Doug, why are you going there? Because Mark's interest all the time is where things are happening. And we'll see that here in it. And so what's going on is Jesus is out in the wilderness. That's why I didn't put animals as any of the characters. Because it's not talking about animals. It's talking about the territory with that. And who's the last character? And the angels were ministering to him. That's what angels do. Doug, do we have guardian angels? Do angels really have wings? We're not talking about it because Mark doesn't talk about it. I'm sorry if I'm annoying you with that kind of thing. I'm not gonna do this every week. I'm trying to lay out a thing that we are not going to get in hobby horses off to the side things. We're gonna try and stay with the text and what Mark is trying to do with that. Angels are on the table. Now they are ministering to him. How cool is that? I'd rather have an angel minister to me than some animals personally. How cool would that be? Well, that's what's going on. So Doug, big picture. What's happening here? Number one, characters. He's laid out all the key characters. Bam, 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 bam. Here are the main characters. Then secondly, he's told us that each of these characters aren't just sitting in a chair watching everything. Actually, these characters are involved doing something. And then the third thing, the place. Question, where is all of this happening? Where is all of this happening? There's a term that's being used throughout this text and also with supporting evidences to it, and it's this. This is all happening in the wilderness, in the wilderness. Big deal. What's the big deal, Doug? Who cares? So it's wilderness. Well, to Mark, it was a big deal. Look at the screen here. And I've just highlighted the wilderness reality. In fact, there's almost twice that amount of wilderness reality in this, but I didn't want to go too far for it. So you can see in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in the River Jordan. Where is that? Well, it's in the wilderness area over here. In the River Jordan, that's in the wilderness. Uh, into the wilderness, in the wilderness. Why would Mark use the repetitive place again and again and again and again on telling where this is? Answer, because the place matters. But it doesn't to me, but it doesn't to us. We don't get it because we're not back in that day. So let me help us. In the wilderness. All right. Let's go all the way back. We go all the way back to eternity, or I'm sorry, the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve, they are there in a place. What's it called? Eden, the Garden of Eden. They sin. Uh, God sends them out of that place. Okay, we move along, move along, move along. We come up to Abraham. God says that he is going to build a nation of people. As many as the stars in the heaven. Look up, Abraham. As many as there are, there will be a nation that comes out of you. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Joseph, remember his brother's dysfunctional family, and his brothers throw him in, and he ends up over in Egypt, a a place. He's in Egypt for a while, and man, rough life, rough life, rough life. And then God, in his sovereignty, raises Joseph up, and he basically becomes prime minister of Egypt, vice president of, of Egypt at the time, but, and, and then we get into Exodus chapter one, and Exodus chapter one tells us that God blesses his people. They're slaves in Egypt, though. They're slaves in Egypt, but God blesses and they start reproducing like rabbits. I mean, you clearly get this idea out of Exodus chapter 1 that's happening. What's God doing? God is building numerically an entire nation within this place. But God's intent is not to keep them in Egypt. We know that God had promised Abraham not only that there would be a nation as, big, as many as the stars in the heaven, but God promised Abraham a people in a place. There was a promised land place. Remember, we went through Joshua and the whole process of them coming into the promised land place last year. And, and there's a whole place that God wants to give them so that they could become priests to the world because it wasn't just about them getting to that place, it was about getting them to a place that they could be able to have impact to the whole world. That was God's uh, plan, if you will, at that time. And, in it, and yet, there's a thing that's a huge part of this whole process it's called the wilderness. Let's go back to Moses. Moses comes and he's out there looking for his sheepies. And uh, that's a Hebrew form of it. He's out looking for his sheepies and and he's out there. And uh, all of a sudden God shows up in a burning bush, like where, in uh, Philadelphia or like in New York City or in a big city? No, in Nowheresville. God has a way of doing this is where I'm getting at. You see this throughout scripture. God shows up in the wilderness. And so Moses in the wilderness and and, and in all of that, uh, God begins building his people. In Exodus chapter 3, it says this, God tells Moses at the burning bush, God says, I've seen the affliction of my people and I have come to deliver them out of Egypt. And then he goes on and he says, where you shall, I want to have you take them out and where you shall serve God on this mountain. What mountain? The mountain that he was on. Where was that mountain? It was in the wilderness. It was in Nowheresville. Doug, are you building something out of nothing? No, let me keep going. Exodus chapter 4, the Lord tells Aaron to meet Moses where? Verse 27. He tells Aaron, Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And so uh, it then says he went and he met Moses at the mountain of God. So what's happening here? There's this mountain of God. God says this is where I am. And then there's a wilderness term that's coming on, and God keeps building this out. It goes into Exodus five. Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, "The Lord says, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may hold fast to me in the wilderness." Where? In the wilderness. And then Exodus 7, 16, the Lord tells Moses to then say to Pharaoh again, let my people go, and here's the term, that they may serve the Lord in the wilderness. Now it's not just meet the Lord, but serve the Lord in the wilderness. And then Exodus 16, the people grumbled. They're out of Egypt. The people are found grumbling against Moses and Aaron and the Lord. Where are they grumbling? In the wilderness, the text tells us specifically. Exodus 19, they encamped in the wilderness, it says, of Sinai. There they encamped while Moses went up to God. Where was God? God was in the mountain in the wilderness. Psalm 78, 52, he led out his people like sheep and guided them into the wilderness like a flock. Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is part of building out verses 2 and 3. In the wilderness, there, that person, that voice will come and prepare the way for the Lord. Listen, uh, very transparent here. It drives me nuts when people go and you hear them grab something out of a text and apply something to it that's interesting. And I want for you to know in wrestling through this, I'm not seeking to do this, but in a text, when a territory, and through seminary you see this, this is a good exegesis with it. When you see a recurring, 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 the author is trying to do something here. And here in this, everything that is being said in these first verses are all happening in this place called the wilderness. And the wilderness for a Jew in that day who's reading this, a person reading this in that day, they would know that term and they would understand a whole heritage that's come out of the Old Testament to it. And so not only is John going, bam, here's the key players, and bam, here's what they're doing it, But John Mark is also doing this. He's saying, bam, all of those key players and everything they're doing is happening in one place. Well, big deal. No, big deal. Big deal. Uh, Think of it this way. Let's bring up our uh, next picture here. The earth and the stars. I mean... (laughs) We can't even begin to fathom how big the universe is. It's like, it's this big. No, it's not. Ten years later, it's this big. Here's the answer. We don't even know how big it is. Who created it all? Colossians chapter one. Jesus Christ, by the way. But, but here, here's, here's where I'm getting. I think Mark is directing our attention to saying this. These are the characters. They're on the table, and they're all involved. And in the vastness of the expanses of the universe, they've all come together in one tiny little dot place that has Old Testament heritage to its name in the wilderness. In fact, let, let, let's go to the one where we see the dot. There. Can you see the dot where they're at? Listen, in the vastness of the universe, they could be anywhere. I mean, the Son, the Spirit, the Father, Satan, angels, they could be anywhere. And yet here in redemptive history, as you follow scripture, what's happening is all this stuff is coming down, and Mark is coming in, and he's saying, all the players are right there, they're all in action, and guess what? They're right there. You've got to hear this story. Absolutely. And that's, oh, God help, I, I, are you understanding? This is so cool in history. Folks, listen, we have this idea that God's out there and God's just doing a work and like God blah, around and various kinds of things. And notice God in his perfect time is bringing everything together and bam, it's about to happen. The whole redemptive course of history is about to change. And Mark is trying to, through literary works, trying to get us to understand this whole reality. They're all in one place. It's pointed right there from Genesis 3 to Isaiah 40 to Malachi 3 to 400 years of silence. It's happening now. Be amazed. Be amazed. And what a way to start out his story. His story is not like this. Hey, John showed up and he was baptizing people, and some people were responding to that. Jesus showed up and he got baptized, and and, some stuff happened. And you know, when he's kind of tempted, tempted, hey, we all get temptation. Angels were there ministering to him. Hang in there, buddy. That is so not what Mark is saying. That is so wimpy of an understanding what's happening. All of Old Testament redemptive history, friends, bam, it's about to blow. It's all about to blow, and you got to hear this story. Next week, we'll pick up Galilee. God, thank you for your vastness and your amazingness. Lord, um, boy, we we could have talked about various applications today, such as it is so common for us to find you in the wilderness. You do works in the wilderness. We we could, could go there. But Lord, you just impressed on my heart this week as I've been studying through this that there is something even bigger than all of that. And that is that you are at work. It's all coming together just as you said. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that has just been questioning you and questioning whether the Bible's real and whether you're real and whether this whole Jesus thing is real. God, I I just would ask that, the beginning of this gospel would, 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 would cause a, a, maybe a, a new flurry of interest just to hear what Mark has to say. Because I think Mark is just utterly stunned here in the beginning, and he's trying to communicate that across. He's trying to grab our attention and, and help us to see that all of this history is coming together, and now you've got to pay attention. Lord, grab our hearts, grab our eyes, grab our interest. Stun us, amaze us, just cause us to ask the questions of who are you and what are you trying to do and and what are you like? And God, may we just enter into the rest of this gospel with those interests and, and that flurry of passion for you. And God, I pray for the person who's here this morning. Maybe they're just discouraged. They're just maybe even wondering if you even care or if you're involved. God, through the 400 years of silence from you between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you were fully involved. You didn't go on a vacation. And you were involved right here at this point in Mark chapter one. And God, you've been involved all through redemptive history. And God, you're involved today. You know down to the minute second what's going on. I just pray we would leave encouraged. You know, you know you know well, you see it, you're in on it, you're aware, and you're trying to teach us and grow us. God, do that. Would you please? Would you do that? I would just ask you to help us to be amazed by the goodness of you having come. The players are on the table. The action's starting to happen. It's all right there. Take us on a journey. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.